Well, good morning again. It's an honor and a privilege to open the Word of God today. We're going to be in 1 Peter 5, and um, we're, we're finishing up our series. What we've done is a, a verse-by-verse look through the book, and just so you know where we're going, we're going to start when we finish this here in a well, week or two. We're going to, we're going to start in Genesis so um, we'll, we'll slowly work our way through that book and see. I, I, my goal in my heart is that you would see the story of the snake crusher, of how God's unveiled it all the way up to Christ and how the, the book of Genesis starts and everything in the book of Genesis has to do with Jesus. So that's, that's where we're going. I'm excited about that. Um, also... I just want you to know that this weekend, if, if you missed the announcements in the beginning, we're going to be sending our youth on a winter retreat. Be, it'd be really cool if you would just commit starting today to be praying for them. Because you better believe that a handful of them that we're taking, we're taking a lot of kids, they're lost. Um, some of them are walking in, they're believers who are walking in sin. And pray that the Lord would grab their hearts whether they put their faith in him or he turns their heart back to them, to, to him, and pray for a, a mighty move of the Lord there. Also, we're getting ready to go to Ecuador over spring break, and it's a pretty quick turnaround from when we first started talking about it. So what we're going to do, be looking for it. Brandon, this is information to you because you weren't in the interest meeting. Um, the, in the next, in this next week, we're going to send out... Uh, uh, yes, I'm going email, and we'll have that circulating for two or three weeks, but we'll, we'll give the time that it's over, but we need to get, we got to buy plane tickets. <laughs> that's got to happen pretty quickly, so um, if that's something you're interested in, be looking for that email, but let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time. God, I, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth in Peter, in your word, Speak to our hearts, and God, as we talk about church order today, which is not something I think people are super excited to get out of bed and think about, I pray that you would still, you would move on us and let us think biblically about these things for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, we're in 1 Peter 5, and Peter's tell, he spent the whole book telling believers how we are to live this, this called-out life in the world. But starting in, verse, or in chapter 5, he's telling us how we're to live this called-out life in community together, in the church. So far, Peter's been teaching us how to live out our faith in the world as a light in the darkness. And now we're going to talk about how to do life together. So we're going to just jump in very quickly with what is true. Um, or what is true statement today is God has given the local church the office of elder to shepherd and lead the flock under the leadership of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. That is a mouthful, but we're going to unpack it. That's, that's driving what we get from the text. So what do we do with all this? We, we find this in the application in verse 5. As Christians, we are to walk in humility towards one another. This whole church thing, the, the church order, uh, the, none of it works unless your leaders are walking in humility. None of it works unless the congregation is walking in humility. And humility is the death of pride. So 
If we want unity as the body, our application is to walk both leaders and congregant in humility together. So let's read our text. So I exhort the elders among you as a faithful elder, this is Peter writing this, and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. So let's, let's think practically about this. Is Peter just starting a new thought? No. Why would Peter move his attention uh, to church leadership right after spending multiple chapters telling the church how they should live and how they are to prepare themselves to suffer? It's because God's people need faithful and qualified leaders to lead them through the chaos and suffering in the world for the advancement of his kingdom. That's why. These thoughts are not disconnected. So the first thing that we're going to look at is what are elders and who is qualified? Look back at verse 1. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a faithful elder and a witness of, suffer, of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. The first thing we must understand is what is Peter talking about when he says elder? What, what, what is this elder? Because this elder is supposed to be leading the church. Is he saying that every old person in the church, he doesn't give us how old, is now, when you hit whatever vague threshold that is, is now a leader in the church? No. <laughs> Thank you, no. The, being an elder has nothing to do with age. Rather, the position of elder was a title in the early church, and we now understand that we, we use the word as pastor today, but although many churches still are faithful to, to that and, and use the word um, elder, hey, either way is fine, as long as the function is being carried out, right? The function is more important than whatever you call it. In the New Testament, the church only had two roles, deacons and elders, and I think most of us are comfortable with this idea of deacons, but what is this role of elder, and how is it different than the role of the deacon? My mentor, Dr. Scott Moody, he's my mentor in the faith. He baptized me when I was a young man, and he still walks with me today. He says this, elders lead by leading, and deacons lead by serving. I know that's not original to him, and I'm, many of you have probably heard it, but the mantra is true. Elders lead by leading, and deacons lead by serving. 
Um, what's interesting, if you look at the qualification for elder and deacon in Timothy and Titus, we call these things the pastoral epistles. The, uh, those are letters written to tell the church how they are to be shepherded. Paul's writing explaining how they are to choose these elders or pastors. The qualification of elder and deacon, they overlap a lot. But while there's similarities in the qualification, I want you to understand the roles are distinct in the Bible and there's no crossover. And here's the primary, the primary difference in the qualification of elder and deacon. Can he handle the word of God? Theology, can he preach? We'll, we'll look at that in a moment. Most of us understand this office of elder as pastor and H.B. Charles. People come to me looking for people to listen to and the people I want you to listen to are the ones I'm dropping in the sermons. So H.B. Charles, go listen to him. In his research on the office of elder, he shows where we get this word pastor. Um, you know, the language of the church for a thousand years was Latin, right? We, we, we all know church history, and that is true. And the word for shepherd in Latin is, I'll give you one guess, it rhymes with pastor. Pastor. <laughs> it's pastor. So that's, that's where our, our term for elder that we use is a Latin transliteration of pastor, okay? So while the function of the elder is to shepherd the flock, the New Testament only uses the term um, shepherd or pastor one time interchangeably with the term elder, and that's in Ephesians 4.11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, so the twelve, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, that seems like he's clumping that as one role, but that's that word, shepherds, or your Bible may translate it as pastors, um, to, for a purpose, and that is this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. One, one thing you'll find interesting when you do a study, of, a survey of the office of elder, you always see it plural, there's not a context for the word elder being written singular when it's talking about this, this pastor role. So um, you'll hear that language today as a plurality of elders. Since we're here, we're going to take a, a second and we're going to address some cultural stuff. Like I said, I know this is what everybody woke up out of bed wanting to hear today, but this, this was next, so this is what we're doing. So, uh, but before... I want to talk about things culturally for the, el the office of elder and deacon. First, I want to say here at our church, and I'm not just putting on, we have excellent deacons. So I don't want this to be interpreted as passive aggressive, but we live in the South and we are growing rapidly and people are bringing their church past to our church body. And I want to bring some clarity to the role of deacon. Okay. Um, but I, I do want to say to our deacons publicly, thank you, because they lead well by serving. And none of them have, since I've been here, tried to lead by dictating to the pastors how we are to lead. So I, 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 want, I want that to be clear, because a lot of times deacons get a bad rap. 
No, our deacons are getting after it and they're serving. So I served in one church, and I think this is the predominant for a lot of places in the South. It had what we would call probably a deacon board. And the deacons, um, whether you call it a deacon board or not, the deacons served as a governing body um, as oversight to the pastors. I don't, um, at the time I went to the church, I didn't know what that meant. But what we see in the New Testament is that there's no context in the Bible for the deacons to serve as oversight to the elders. That's just, that's just not there. It's a, it's a, it's a, a unbiblical form of church leadership. Needless to say, the church operated outside of God's designed order, and it was totally dysfunctional. Like, the, the whole time I was there, it was, it was dysfunctional. So what it looked like is we as a staff and pastors, we would go and report to these deacons. We'd say, hey, church camp's coming up. Can we go here? Hey, we, we're thinking about this mission trip. Can we go there? Um, what it, whatever it was, whatever the thing was we were wanting to do, the local project, they would meet, they would convene, and then they would give us their decision on what we could do moving forward. That's not biblical. That's not their role. Now, don't get me wrong. Collaboration with the deacons is good because that, that role is, the word deacon means minister. They're servants. Why would you not want to collaborate with them to get the work done? But they're not to be a deacon board and what was going on there and what goes on in many rural churches in the South, just, it's not collaboration. It's, it's dictation, right? And we've, many of us have probably know exactly what I'm talking about. The biblical model for church leadership is that of elders and deacons serving the body together while performing their own specific roles as the elders and, um, they lead by leading, they lead by teaching. They lead by leading in worship. And the deacons, they lead by serving. And frankly, you just can't find anywhere in the Bible that you could even vaguely interpret the deacon body being a decision-making body. The deacons, they were created, we'll look at this in Acts 6 later, the sole purpose of the deacons being created was to preserve unity in the church. That's what the deacons are here for, to serve by preserving unity. So there are um, many ways to do church. There's many ways that you can interpret how this would break down in a church. And there's a lot of ways that you can faithfully do ministry, even if it's out of whack. There are some churches with deacon boards that yeah, their leadership structure is messed up, but they're faithfully doing ministry. So, like, we're not going to, you know, shake our nose at them, or we, but we, we understand it's outside of God's biblical order. God is concerned about order, and we see God's concern for order in creation. We see his concern for order that we looked, like, looked at already in the book of Peter, with the roles in the home for the husband and for the wife. And God has order in the church that he desires. And any model of outside of elders leading by leading 
is outside of the biblical order that God has given the church. Like, we've all seen it. If it's you, I apologize for making this illustration about you. But um, when the wife runs the home, that's, that's outside of the biblical order, right? Or worse, I know we've all seen this one. Remember that uh, TV show where they sent the nanny to like get the kids right? Where the kids dictate the order of the home. It's dysfunctional, yeah. Maybe people aren't dying and maybe bills are getting paid, but it's not God's order. It's, it's dysfunction. In the, in the same way, God has given the church order. And this is also... Uh, we've seen other kinds of dysfunction in the home too because I, I get why people they're like yeah but there needs to be lots of accountability you're not wrong because we've all seen that God's uh, the one that he's appointed like the husband right what happens in God's order when the husband is lazy when the husband is disconnected when the husband's abusive what's going to be the case in the home it's going to be dysfunctional too this is why we need to know what we're looking for when we're looking at the role of elder because if we pick a bad one, then the whole, the church is going to be dysfunctional. Understanding who the elder is to be is so important because when we look at the chaos of the world, we've studied the chaos in Peter's world, we can't have chaos in the church that's, created by unbiblical leadership and the dysfunction of it because souls are on the line. Dysfunction in the church matters because it takes away from our mission and our purpose of worshiping God and advancing the kingdom by making disciples. And when we get distracted with everything else, with, with self-inflicted wounds of dis dysfunction, and people trying to, to, to take power and people trying to, to lord over, whether it's the pastor or any other committee or body in the church, those are self-inflicted wounds and we're distracted from seeking and saving the lost, being about the mission and purpose of God. Age does not make you an elder. Timothy, whom Paul writes to in First and Second Timothy, he tells him not to let people look down on you because of your age. Look at 1 Timothy 4.12 on the screen. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Eldership has nothing to do with spiritual, uh, with, with, has everything to do with spiritual maturity over your age. Timothy was supposed to reveal that spiritual maturity by the way that he lived with, with the people in his congregation. It wasn't, his spiritual maturity wasn't revealed by his date of birth, right? So you can be young and spiritually immature or you can be old and spiritually immature. We can't assume spiritual maturity based on age, but on the godly example that the individual walks in. And honestly, church, 
That's why the church needs a pipeline of raising up elders. I mean, praise the Lord that y'all called me here, but there's a lot you didn't know about me. Being able to raise men up that we can select from among ourselves to pastor is a much better way. And we have to be intentional and thoughtful about these things. A lot of times we think when we look inside the body, it's like, oh, but we know that one. Yeah, you know that one. So um, here are the biblical qualifications for a pastor or an elder. And notice most of these are competent or are, are character-based, but few of these, only one is a skill or a competency that the individual needs. And the only skill that you'll see is that he can teach. And this also, if you read the book of Timothy, assumes right theology. So you need to test the man's theology and not can he, you know, get up here and say things about the Bible, but can he teach, okay? So let's look at the, let's look at Timothy 1, or 1 Timothy 3, 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he does a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, and the word overseer is is the most often interchangeable word with elder. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Here's your one, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snares of the devil. So like I said, this, this able to teach, it's assuming right theology. You need to test the man's theology. Like, I, I, I get told all the time, like, I don't care so much about theology, I just want the Bible. Well, what do you think the Bible is? Theology is theo, God, ology, study, the study of God. Everything you say about the Bible is theology. There's nothing you say about the Bible that's not theology. You need to test his theology. Many times, elders or pastors are chosen based on their deliverables. He's a great preacher. He's a high achiever. He leads well in worship. Look how many degrees he has. He's obviously qualified. Now, don't get me wrong. These things aren't bad. But we can't fixate on these things at the expense of overlooking his character. How much time did Timothy give to competency, or Paul give to competency, and how much time did he give to character in that qualification he just gave? Character matters. And when you're basing your decision for a pastor on competency and charisma instead of on godly character, you are setting your church up for failure. Charisma often I see this in pastors all the time, and I see this in myself. Charisma often masks major spiritual shortfalls. 
Don't trust that someone's charismatic. When your competencies outpace your character, he will fall into the snares of the devil. We see all the time on TV, there's all these documentaries now about these very famous pastors that fall into very public sins. And it's because the church was more concerned about honing his skill, whether it's preaching or leading worship or whatever it is, instead of honing the man, honing his character, giving him space to rest and to worship. when we have a plurality of elders where these things can be spread, that's what protects the pastor from the fall. And if the pastor does fall, there's a safety net for the church. A church I was a member of um, out in Tyler, um, there was a, I'm sorry, there's young ones here. Um, there, there was an elder group there the the pastor this spring um he killed himself in the pulpit and it was devastating i was devastated he was my pastor at one time and what he did was he hid the character stuff with the output stuff he hid from his other elders the moral decay that was going on inside. It was heartbreaking. But at the same time for the church, it had a group. There was only one other um, paid staff member on the, the body. But when that happened, the church didn't look up and go, oh no, what will we do? You know why? Because there were already other men there, five other men there who... They had other jobs, but they were shepherding those people already. They were already actively preaching. And uh, praise the Lord that the church, even though that devastating thing has happened, the Lord has continued to bless the body. And the people, their souls were cared for all the way until they just brought their new lead elder on. That's what, that's what elders can do. Elders lead by shepherding. They, 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 they create, instead of one person or two people shepherding everybody, where, where people can be known and their needs can be known. So for our church, we need to understand what is an elder and who is qualified to be one. Let's, let's move on. The call for faithful elders and the function of faithful elders. Let's read starting in verse one again. So I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly. In verses one and two, Peter, he's exhorting the elders to carry out their roles faithfully. The word exhort is not common in our everyday vernacular, but it just means encourage. He's calling them to, to do the task of shepherding well. He, he's reminding these leaders of the suffering of Christ and what was, what was bought in Jesus Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Because here's, if it's not real, what are we doing? 
right? Jesus really came to earth. Jesus really lived. God really became man and dwelt among us. He really died and allowed the creatures that he created to take his life in order that he would purchase salvation for all who would believe. And we are to serve each other well. We are to persevere through all things because we know that he's ascended and that he is coming back again to judge the living and the dead, do we not? And we know that all who believe will be saved. And the, the church needs to work in order because everyone who doesn't hear that message and everyone who doesn't put their faith and trust in Jesus, they will die apart from God and they will face the full wrath of God. That's why all of this matters so much. Order matters. God is using Peter to remind all of us what's on the line. And that is that we get to be partakers in the glory of God and that we want others to be as well. Look at verse two. We see this word shepherd. Now we make shepherding like something really like um, pretty, you know, we the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We, we, we look at David, he's, he's the shepherd that becomes the king. And we look at all, like shepherding in the Bible feels like something prominent to us, right? No, you're missing it. The, the, the first century Jew, if you were a shepherd, you couldn't even, um, you couldn't even uh, testify in court. The first century Jew understood the shepherd as a, a social pariah. Nobody wanted their kid to grow up to be a shepherd. Shepherds, not to be crude, they, they were dirty. They smelled like sheep poo. They wanted nothing to do with them. Like the shepherd isn't like, like you know, we, we really elevate this idea of shepherd because, you know, God says he's the, the, the shepherd of Israel. Jesus is the good shepherd. But shepherding in the ancient world was the lowly task Look at how, let's take David for example. Sorry, I'm, I'm on a trip now. So uh, Samuel says, hey, Jesse, God wants to anoint uh, your son as king. And he's like, all right. He brings the first one out. No, he brings the next one out. No, no. Like he goes through all these children. Then finally he's like, do you got anybody else? What's David do? Or what's uh, Jesse do? He's like, I mean, I got one. Like, it's a, he doesn't even assume that uh, Samuel would want this one. That's, that's where you send the, the, the one that you don't expect much from. You send them to the, shield to, be, to the field to be the shepherd. That's, the shepherd is in no way in the first century would have been associated with, with power, okay? So when you see pastors who are seeking power, seeking notoriety, seeking fame and money, you need to understand it's in direct contradiction of the role of pastor, of the role of the shepherd. It's a lot of fun to listen to the guy who's brash and kind of angry and kind of edgy. But that's not the posture of humility. That's probably not the guy you should be listening to because we've been told the character things. And does that sound like the character? Verse five here says, God opposes the proud. The pastor is to be a shepherd. He is to be, a, he's to model Jesus 
And Jesus, the first way that he characterizes himself in the Bible when he speaks about himself is gentle and lowly at heart. That's what, the, that's what your shepherds should look like. That's what they should be aspiring to. The pastor is not to be proud or arrogant or showy. And I get asked all the time about people's favorite pastors, and I really hate to burst your bubbles. So normally I'm really kind about it. But if your favorite guy to listen to spends a lot of time making much of himself in his preaching or in any of his different platforms, he's not a man worthy of following because he's not following in the footsteps of Jesus. Verse 2 gives us a how-to shepherd. Elders are to shepherd the flock by exercising oversight. That doesn't make anybody feel good. Exercising oversight is God's how that elders are to shepherd. The work of the elder is to be pastor. And that's why we've adopted this word for pastor. Brandon and me here, Brandon and I, whatever it is, whatever the right language on that is, we are, y'all have given us the title of pastor, so we are the elders here. The, the church has decided that. The work of elder should be to feed the sheep spiritually and to lead the flock. The Bible has a lot to say about elders and how they're to conduct themselves and what they are to do, but you know it has a lot less to say about how the congregant is to relate specifically to the elder. But it does have some things to say about it. In Hebrews 13.10, the author of Hebrews gets very poignant about it. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And this is, context dictates that this is an elder. For they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Let them not do this, uh, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Just a little practical advice at the end. If you make your pastor hate his job, probably less advantageous to you. I think, thank you, author of Hebrews. Just throwing that little nugget in there. But the Bible tells you to obey and submit, but it goes on to say, I'm, y'all don't have to give an account for the way that I lead. I have to give an account for the way that I lead. Me and Brandon have to give an account for the way that we lead here. I have to give an account for how I lead, and you're going to have to give an account in the transverse for the way that you're led. And I get it. We're all a little gun-shy about leaders who say, trust me, or submit. I mean, that's how cults start. Like, we live in Waco. Like, there's a little history of that, right? <laughs> I mean, think about our, our, every national leader has said, trust me. Every state leader has said, trust me. We've all grown up with bad teachers and bad bosses, people that we were supposed to inherently trust, and they've broken that trust. Some of you have had horrible fathers and terrible ex-husbands, and maybe even you've had a spiritually abusive pastor. I realize we all have baggage, and it's, this can be hard to hear, but we must submit to God's word. Just because someone has had a bad example 
in your past does not mean that God, God's order in his church is wrong or can't be trusted, right? Notice the, pastor doesn't say, the, the passage doesn't say you can't disagree. It doesn't say the pastor or the elders are already, always right. That, that's not what it says. This, this is not a cult. You can question. <laughs> that's how you know if you're in a cult, by the way, if you can't question anything. This passage from Hebrew, Hebrews in context is talking about leaders who are worthy of imitating their lives. So let's take a second and think practically about how we are to operate as a church because I don't want anyone to hear that I want you to be silent and we're going to do whatever the pastor wants to do. That's not, that's not what the text is saying. That would be as uh, this word right here, uh, domineering. We're not doing that. So why, for a lot of new people coming into a church, it's exhausting thinking about Robert's rule of orders, church meetings, deacons meetings, staff meetings. Like, why do we do, why can't we just make a decision and go? Unity. It's unity. We want to be unified, and we want to, as a congregation, be advancing the kingdom of God and advancing this gospel message out into the world. Did you know deacons were not a thing in the early church until Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6? So there was a time in the church with no deacons, the church of Jerusalem. And the deacons were created, the word deacon means minister, deacons were created to respond to the needs of a growing church so that the church would operate in unity. There were widows in the church who were feeling like they were overlooked and not taken care of. Let me read Acts 6.1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that means the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned a full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God in order to serve the table. Therefore, brothers, sounds very democratic, sounds like a vote. Pick out from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they said, when they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And then it goes on to talk about the seven that they appoint. The 12 knew what their job was, and it was to lead the church by leading in, uh, through prayer and preaching. They knew their job. And then they needed to lead by making a recommendation to the body to elect seven ministers from among them, seven deacons from among them to serve the body. This, this process looks a lot like a vote. That's what they did. They voted. Deacons were created to serve the practical and tangible needs of the body in order to preserve unity. Unity was almost out of the door here. The deacon's job is to, to serve by preserving unity in the body. This was about to be a deep schism about these widows. And it sounds like not a big deal, but it is a big deal because you know what it was over? Race is not a 21st century problem. It was over race. That was the claim. But I think in verse 1, we see what the real issue was. The church was growing. Every day it was increasing in number. 
The church was growing. And the, the, the leaders there, they had to respond by creating this new body for a growing congregation. We've felt some of these growth pains this last year, praise the Lord, right? And we, like the early church, we had to come together. The pastors made a recommendation, and we've had to make decisions on how we were going to respond. And as our needs change with growth, the way we do things will have to change. You know, you're going to hear, well, that's not the way we've done it. Yeah, 150 years ago, you also didn't have all these committees, I bet, when we planted the church. There, there was no need for a building and grounds committee because we didn't have a building or grounds. Like, all these layers of structure we create are to respond to the growth of the body. And, yeah, we're not going to do church the same way we did it in the 60s because we're not in the 60s. I mean, who in the room doesn't have internet? You're not doing life the same way you did in the 60s. We're, we're doing things different. We're living different. And the people that God's bringing to us are different. And we're responding to that growth. And we have these committees and we have these different layers that we've created because there's all these people with different uh, gifts of talent. And, you know, some of you are blessed to be uh, retired and you have different gifts of time and you get to serve the body differently. Would you pr prefer that I come in er at the end of every month and I audit every receipt that the church spends? Y'all don't know my mathing ability. <laughs> or would you prefer that I spend my week preparing the word of God? Would you prefer... I audit every receipt, or would you prefer I spend long in prayer? Therefore, we have a stewardship committee. And that's just one example. That's what all these committees are for. They're to, to advance the work of the kingdom. So let's look at the last thing real quick. The attitude of the elder. Verse 3, not to be domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Choose, uh, I'm sorry, elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As an elder, I have been given spiritual oversight over this local congregation. But elders are not to be domineering. Here's that name again, just throwing it out there, H.B. Charles. He says this about elders. Elders are not to be ranchers or cowboys. They're, we're not driving cattle with whips. Instead, we are shepherds who lead. We are to give direction from up front, not from on high. Verse 5, Peter echoes the thoughts from the Old Testament and warns those who hold the position of elder, if we are proud, God will oppose us. But he also says this to all of us, right? That he, he changes attention just from the, the pastor, but to everyone. He says, um, God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. We can't do this church thing 
unless your elders and your deacons and your committees are walking in, clothing themselves in humility, not always getting their way, not always having to be heard first. Now, don't get me wrong. We have, as one calls himself, that's a, a pastor with other pastors, we have a lead elder. I'm first among equals, but we still have to have somebody who makes decisions. Like some decisions that I'm going to make are not going to be popular. They're not going to be liked. Um, you're going to disagree with them. That's not being domineering. That's just have you, you think something else. Domineering is being a jerk. Domineering is running people over. Domineering is not listening to anybody. But don't at the same time go, well, he didn't listen to me just because you came and said what you wanted, what you needed to say. Having someone listen to you doesn't mean capitulation. It doesn't mean doing what, exactly what you want to be done, how you want it to be done. Those aren't the same things. Jesus, the chief shepherd, he did things that were unpopular. He said things that were unpopular. Didn't he? He made decisions people didn't agree with. That's okay. That's not being domineering. It's all about the attitude. Is it arrogance? Is it rude? Is it at the expense of other people? That's domineering. The elders are not to lead with an iron rod. They are to lead with a shepherd's crook, pulling people close. When we walk in humility together, we're still sinners. We're still going to do it wrong. I'm not, I'm going to say, bring something to the body in a vote one day, and the body's going to say no. And you know what that means? It was not the Lord's will. It means I was not listening well. That's humility when you say it's me, not them. When you stand up and you say, I'm opposed to this or that, and the church makes a different decision. Humility states, well, I must have been out of God's will in this moment because the body being led by the Spirit has chosen something else. We are to clothe ourselves in humility. Humility is the death of pride. And when we do that, we will walk in unity. We will walk in order. Not always getting our way but trusting that the Lord is moving everything in his direction and in his will. Leading this way, doing church this way is countercultural and it requires humility. Finally, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Towards the, towards the shepherd? Towards the elders? Towards one another. I need to walk in humility towards you. You need to walk in humility towards me. You need to walk in humility towards the people around you. Humility, it doesn't say I'm less than you. It says I'm willing to give up my rights for you. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you will, bow your heads with me.